like to read one verse with you tonight. Uh, if you have a Bible, you want to open to 1 Peter 3 and 18. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. We're going to read uh, just one, not even a whole verse really, uh, just a, uh, the first part of this very well-known gospel verse tonight. And then we're going to seek just to speak the gospel from that. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. First Peter 3 and 18, this is what our, our verse states. This is the, uh, the Apostle Peter speaking here. He says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. I'll read that one more time. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just, for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So we know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. A lot of people come out to a lot of gospel meetings, and a lot of people talk to us sometimes at the end of the tent. Sometimes people don't. It's okay either way. Um, but I, I can't help but think about this verse, and just to look at it in simplicity. And as I was preparing for it today, um, I'm not a huge fan of cartoon movies, um, but I thought of, uh, I think it's a movie, Ebenezer Scrooge, and the ghost of uh, Christmas future. That was July, not, not Christmas, but we're almost there, right, in our six months. Uh, his words to, to the man that night, Ebenezer, he says, uh, you have showed me what you have gained, and he says, I'll show you what you have lost. A lot of times during the course of gospel meetings, as you hear this message, sometimes you consider what you would lose if you were saved. Few people ever consider what they would gain. Sometimes we even take it tonight that you may think that you have something. You might be depending on something. Something you said. Something you one time prayed. Maybe something that a mother told you. Or maybe something that a parent you said has expressed to you. And, and sometimes when you consider what we're saying, we seek to tell people, it doesn't matter what you feel. And it doesn't matter exactly, maybe even tonight, what a parent has told you. And maybe you're thinking tonight about gains and losses. And you're thinking about religions. And you're thinking about biblical truths. I ask you tonight whether or not you could take God at His word. Because if you could take God at His word tonight, our verse simply says, Christ suffered for sins once. So if you could take God at His word, I don't know if you would take me at my word necessarily, but if you could take God at His word tonight, you know what would be the blessed thing? Is that to quote another Disney movie. You know what they said? Oh, who is it? When the Grinch stole Christmas. He said, he took everything from them. And you know what he realized? They still had everything. If I took your baptism, and I took your good works, if I took your emotions, and I took your masses, and if I took all your church attendance, but I took it all from you, what would you still have? Because if you took everything from me, you know what I still have? I still have Christ. So I ask you tonight, if this world took everything from you, what would you have? Because our verse starts simply like that. And tonight, just to divide this verse up, it tells me that Christ died for sins. It tells me also that it was for the unjust. It tells me that it was forever. And it tells me most importantly tonight, because if you're to get saved tonight, it won't be for a boyfriend, it won't be for a girlfriend. It won't be in order to please a parent, 
or to please a child. Tonight, if you're to get saved, it'll be for one reason and one reason only. It'll be because God is satisfied. It'll be for God. It's between you and Him and no one else. And so it tells me tonight that this was for God. And so I just want to speak on those four titles tonight in the next 20 minutes. That Christ died for sins. That He died for the unjust. That He did it once. He did it forever. And finally, that He did it for God. When I come to this first notion here, that Christ died for sins, uh, a lot of times... I think people appreciate it over the weeks when when you could just take the Bible and you could say, can you sum it up? You know, there are 66 books here. There's about 40 different writers. Uh, There's maybe uh, 1,500 years. Three continents. Two testaments. If I could sum it up for you tonight, God looks down and He notices two things and two things only. He notices sin and He notices His Son. Which will you side with? When God looks down from heaven, you say, my little theological dictionary, uh, some of us have these giant concordances, and they'll mark the use of every word, and as it were, in, in every part of the Bible. But when you look at mine, and maybe I'm simplistic, my theological dictionary has two words in it. Sin and a son. Because all I had to do is be a sinner to qualify for Christ's salvation. That's all I had to do. I took care of the sinning. He took care of the saving. And so when I come just to that first notion there, that Christ died for sin, our Bible tells us that that as many sins as I have, mercy is greater when it comes from Christ. And we sung that there at Calvary. Mercy was great. Grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me at Calvary. And so when we read about that, not only did sin abound, right, at Calvary, but grace abounded. And if you said evil and sin, when it had its greatest hour, Christ also had his finest hour. When he died for sins at Calvary. Sometimes we speak about sins, and I've often been questioned. I've even questioned myself sometimes. I should start somewhere else. I should start in heaven and end in hell. I should start in glory and end in grief. Let me begin with all the things that are wonderful in life. Let me speak of the joys of life. Let me speak of all the things that make life worth living. And then end with all the things that make life so miserable. And I thought, I'm going in the wrong direction. And then I'm reminded of the words of a well-known author. His name was uh, G.K. Chesterton, a very well-known poet, a very well-known writer. He wrote for the London Times, and there was an article, it was a contest, and it said, if you could sum up in 200 words what's wrong with the world, just 200 words in a newspaper article, sum up what's wrong with the world in 200 200 words. And Mr. Chesterton, he responded to that article with just two words. What's wrong with the world? He wrote back to that newspaper, the London Times, probably one of the most famous newspapers in the world, and he said, here's my entry for this contest. What's wrong with the world? I am. Would you agree? That's what's wrong with the world. So if I could start anywhere tonight, I would start with this. I know it. What's wrong with my world? Has nothing to do with what's going on in the Middle East has nothing to do with what's going on in a couple towns over. has nothing to do with that. What's wrong with this world start and will forever be consistent just in my heart. Because the greatest sins that this world has known, I've been capable of myself. 
may not believe it, I do. And so when the Bible addresses salvation, instead of starting there, it just starts here. Because you know what? The only people who never make it there are people who deserve it. And I'll add this. Who doesn't go down to the place called hell? Are the people who think they deserve it. I rarely ever meet a man who deserves hell who ends up there. And I rarely ever meet a person, in fact, I've never met a person who deserved heaven who ended up there. And so the Bible just starts where I'd like to start. And this verse starts where I'd like to start. It says, Christ has also once suffered for sin. It was a, uh, it was a famous Indian philosopher during the 1970s. And, and, and he was quoted in one of these apologetic magazines. And he said this, he said, we take all religions to be true. He says, the real sin, the real sin is to call someone else a sinner. My friend, call me what you want. As long as it's the person that Christ came to save. Call me what you want. As long as it means that I know that my passport to the realms of bliss is stamped with nothing else than the precious blood of Christ. If that's what gets me there, call me what you want. Because the Bible goes on and on to tell us Christ died for. And you know what? None of the words that come after that for are ever pleasant to human ears. But they're pleasant to the angelic host because Christ died for sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. And Christ died for the unworthy. And Christ Jesus came into the world to save me. Call me what is true. A hype and high note facade. Because tonight, we're not talking about self-help and we're not talking about turning over a new leaf. not talking about something tonight that could somehow, you would say, just maybe help you out this week. It's something about eternity. And so the Bible says, and our verse says, Christ died for sins. And just those two words, a sin and a Savior. Just the actions that I've committed. Uh, But we've said in previous meetings, on previous nights, that I can remember being in a Bible study once. It was down, I think, in the southern part of the state. We were looking through Mark chapter 9. And it says there, if your arm offends you, just cut it off. Don't go, don't, don't, don't miss heaven for an arm. And then if your eye offends you, take it out. Don't miss heaven for an eye. And same thing with your leg. And I remember there was a brother in the meeting. Uh, I found it humorous. Not everybody in the meeting found it humorous. He said, this is a really violent Christianity. Really violent Christianity. We're losing arms. We're losing hands. We're losing eyes. We think that way sometimes. You know what you think? You think if I could just string together seven successful days, I'd be closer to heaven. If I could just make it out to five, five meetings in a row, I'm sure I would get a little closer. You know, my friend, if we took away all our actions, if we took away what our hands have done and what our eyes have seen and what our feet have taken us to, if we took away all that, how do you separate who I am from me? I'm a sinner. I was born that way. There's no one, no one that can tell me differently. And I've said it on nights past, before anything else was known about me. That was known. And so I'm so glad because people tell me that they despise a God who would tell you that you're guilty from day one. And I would say this, I've come to love a God who has told me I've been guilty from day one. Because you know what? If I had died on day one, it would have mean that I would have been in heaven because Christ came to save the guilty. Christ Jesus came into the world to save those who could not save themselves. And so I ask you for one maybe night just to, just to consider what it would mean tonight if your salvation did not depend on you because you're what's wrong. It depends on what is right. And the world has only claimed one right. And heaven 
claims only one person that was ever right, and that was God's beloved Son. And He came to die for the wrong. And so tonight, if there's a chance that just for an hour you would reconsider the fact that you could be saved plus something you could do, I would ask you to turn back and I would say, if you're the problem, what are the chances tonight you could be saved because you could possess the Son? And so our verse goes on to say, not only that, but it was for the unjust. Not only for sins, because that's what I've done, but in case I worry about just who I am, it tells me He came into the world and and He did this for the unjust. Uh, for me, uh, we, we, Matt has quoted it. I've seen it on the back of pickup trucks this week. I, I see it on bumper stickers. I was in New York, and, and, and I would see it there inside church, inscribed on stone, Mark 8 and 36. What shall it profit a man? He gains the world and loses his soul. Or what will you give in exchange for your soul? That's a tough question. Those are the questions we ask at the back of the tent, and people say, I have to think about that. I don't flinch when people ask me that question. You know why? Because I've never asked what I have to give in exchange for my soul, because God has already told me from His lips to my mouth, right? From His lips, heard in this heart, God said He gave His Son for my soul. Take the world, Matt has said, and I would qualify it. Take the world, but give me Jesus, right? All its joys. What do they compare with having Christ tonight? Him only. And so our verse just says, it was for the unjust. You say, that was probably one of the worst trades. In fact, it is the worst trade known to man. If you follow a sporting event, if you follow, as it were, sometimes in the political arena, how often is it that the American military will give back 30 individuals to some country 2,000 miles from here in order to get one soldier back? And you say, doesn't that man, how how could he not feel value? They'll give 30 prisoners. They'll give 40. You say they would give anything to get one back. And yet we hear this truth, that God gave His Son for one sinner, and He would have done it for one sinner, and Christ would have come into the world for one soul, your soul. And we're still asking, how many more prayers do I have to offer up? How many many more church events do I have to attend? We're still looking for a feeling. The exchange has been made. It was the worst trade known to man. It deserves to be mocked as the worst trade ever known in human history. Except for this great fact, it only magnifies the love of God. It only magnifies the love of Christ that God was willing to give His Son for an enemy. In Midland Park, and in your town, we never name our streets after ISIS members. We don't do it. You, as I would, would take your vehicle and ram the sign down. But I have a home in heaven with my name on it. And all I was was an enemy. And yet God sent his son into the world to die for me. In exchange, you say, par none. In exchange that, 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 that takes all the questions out of it. Because if, if he did it for the unjust, I, I just have to identify tonight. We sing that. And I, I heard one man say at the end of all those, those Graham, Billy Graham crusades, they would play that well-known hymn. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, I come. And they used to say, 
they would play it over and over again just to wait for that last person who was who was willing to come. Listen, I would tell you a thousand times tonight if I could just wait on you and you would wait on me. It's just as you are. It's just as I am. God doesn't ask anybody to spruce up. He doesn't ask anybody to do anything different. He doesn't ask people to become better. In fact, I've said it before, it, it actually goes against good grammar, but the better, the better. Really, tonight. Really, I've had a hard time these two weeks convincing you. And maybe I'd have a hard time convincing you of what I am. But I, I'm my friend tonight. Bring convicts in here. Bring murderers. Bring anybody who knows this. I'm unjust. Because the minute you notice that, you notice that the exchange on the other end was the just one for the unjust. And I come just as I am. I don't change anything. I don't try to, as it were, morph myself into something that's more acceptable to God because heaven only ever looked for one just person. It only ever wanted one good man. And he got him on a Friday afternoon. And after that, it's only ever wanted sinners. It's only ever wanted the unjust. Heaven wants to be filled with earth's filth. So I ask people tonight, if you're good, you hate to be there. You hate to be there tonight if you're depending on your own merit. If you're going to earn heaven, it's not the place for you. Heaven's for believers and receivers, not earners. And so when I come, just looking at this, not only for the unjust, but it says this, it was forever. It says he died one time, for Christ has also once, once, just once, we were at a church. In fact, I did two tours of New York during these meetings. I did one last Saturday and this Saturday. And shame on me, I took them to a church where they believe that Christ is sacrificed every Sunday. Because Christ was only ever sacrificed once. Christ once offered himself for sinners, never to be repeated. You don't have to ask how much more I can do. You don't have to ask how many more times you could do it because Christ did it once. If God gave everything once, and He gave everything, and He did it once, and He gave everything, then the question just comes down to you and says, is that enough? Because it happened once, never to be repeated. You could depend on one man who offered one sacrifice one day for one sinner. Or you could continue to ask how much. But, but our verse says, it was forever. It was one thing that happened at one time. And, and, and when I come to this, people, when I say that, that the surety that you could have, the assurance of salvation, they always want to bring up what will happen to me in the future, that I could somehow lose this. Now, when God saves people, He saves them forever. What God does is final. And the only way that I will not be in heaven one day is if Christ fails. The Bible says He will not fail. The one who has held creation together, He holds me in His hand. And so when I come to this, I've been remarked at a lot of sporting events. I was at one yesterday. And you know what they tell me about about the best sport or or the best athletes? Is, Is they want the ball in their hands or at their feet when the game is on the line. I would cringe tonight if salvation depended on me when my life was on the line. And so would you. If you haven't done it, go visit a hospital bed when someone's dying and they turn to you and say, what do I have to do to get there? When someone's life is on the line, when your life is on the line, I ask you, whose hand do you want the ball in? When my life was on the line, Christ wanted it all to depend on Him. 
He chose that. He wanted salvation, my salvation, to depend 100% on Him. And when I trusted Him, I became 100% sure of heaven because it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Him. This is a forever transaction. If Christ fails, I find upon another life that I did not live, and upon another death that, that I did not die, another's life and another's death, I have staked my whole eternity. And, and, and I, I plead with you, really sincerely, if I could somehow just break through, I plead with you just to consider tonight what is at stake for you to be able to, to just depend on someone else. We've, we've, we've strayed from it so far. We don't want to depend on anyone else. And yet God says, just take my hand. Take the only hand that was nailed to a tree. You could depend on Him because He took your place. This is the one who did it forever. And not only that, but He did it for God. The verse just ends like that. To bring us to God. We've had a couple of theological debates during the week. It might surprise you. Um, Matt and I are theologians. Um, we would bring more leather-bound books that would make us look a little more ready to take on theological arguments. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't appeal to the intellect. It appeals to sinners. Sometimes I'm thankful for simple language. Thankful when I visit my attorney or my accountant or my physician. I'm thankful when they use my language, not their language, right? We love that in life. When you visit someone who is the, the master of their profession, when you go and you visit the engineer or the architect, when you visit the, 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 the person who has reached the pinnacle of their profession, you actually are thankful when they condescend to such a low estate and they just use words that you understand. And so the Bible says, Christ has once suffered for sins just for the unjust. And if he could put it any simpler, I don't know that he could, that he could bring us to God. That he could bring us to God. If you could tell me if that means something else tonight, I want to know what else it means. Because if it means what it says, and if the God of heaven, who has created language, has condescended, just to tell us in a simplistic form, if you take Christ tonight, He takes you to God. Heaven's not a ladder. Heaven's not a stairway. Heaven's not a prayer. Heaven's not pennies. Heaven's not penance. Heaven's not through priests or pastors or preachers. Heaven's through one man, Jesus Christ, and Him alone. And He says it Himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. This is something that lasts forever, that no man can take away from you. This is something that only Christ can give. And I have uh, just sought to end all my meetings, I think, in the two weeks by telling you this. Because sometimes the gospel, it doesn't come across clear to you. And you want to go home with a surety. Because I just tell my entire audience tonight, wherever you have come from and whatever you think, this is something that changes lives. First Peter, the same book we read in tonight, it tells us this. That we were redeemed with silver and not with silver and gold, but with the blood of Christ, and we were redeemed from this, from an empty life. From an empty life. So I would ask you tonight, if life still seems empty, 
need to be redeemed. Because a soul that is saved, a soul that has trusted Christ, the Bible tells us, is filled with Christ. So our Bible, it seeks to just tell you this. Could you depend on what God has said and that alone? We, we have often considered this week of all the things that you could do. And Romans 10, if it doesn't put it any more succinct, it tells us, don't try to ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or, or to descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up. But what saith the word? The word is nigh thee. It's even in your mouth. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him dead, you will be saved. No questions about it. There's no questions about it. If I was looking at 70 or 80 sinners tonight, and every one of you were able to place your trust in Christ, the Lord Jesus would save 70 sinners tonight. The Lord saves sinners, period. The Lord saves people who come to Him. And it's the end of the story. You say, it, it, it cannot be that simple. Yes, my friend, if Christ suffered for sinners, it is that simple, because it doesn't depend on any complication you want to add to it. And so just a verse tonight. Christ suffered for sins. He did it for the unjust. He did it forever. He satisfied God. I was saved. Someone gave me a tape the other night of the night I was saved. Actually, the meeting was recorded. November 22nd, 1998. Seems like ages ago. And that tape, you know what? I didn't even know what was on it. I don't even know what the man spoke about. Kind of shame on me because I guess it doesn't even matter what I say tonight, right? I don't even remember what the man said. But you know, 18 years later, you know what I still remember? That night I found out God was satisfied. And that amazed me. In fact, it still amazes me. That God was satisfied in one thing. And it wasn't me. It was His Son. And to think tonight that you could be satisfied in the same exact thing that the God of Heaven is satisfied in. That is Christ. And Him only. You could know your sins forgiven. You could know peace with God. You could know a home in heaven. You could be saved from an empty life. Show me what you stand to gain without Christ. Because all these things are what you stand to lose without Him. I ask you tonight, just to consider, just for a moment, as Matt preaches, what it would mean to just have Christ, to have the Son, and to have life, to have Him and nothing else. Because He will save you. He is the Savior of sinners. He is the one that we have sought to preach for these two weeks. And if I could leave you with nothing else, it is just this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We extend a warm welcome to those that are here tonight. Uh, it is the last night of our meeting. Um, and as I uh, prayed about what to speak upon, I received a text from a dear brother, uh, Mohammed, who showed me a picture of John chapter 3 and verse 16. And that verse was imprinted, engraved on his truck. He was able to witness to a man he worked with through that verse. Uh, and so tonight, I'd just like to read in the book of John, and I haven't taken up this subject yet for all the two weeks, but John and chapter 3, please. So if you have a Bible with you, we'll look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book, and the third chapter, John and chapter 3. 
John's Gospel in chapter 3 and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So let's look here uh, down the chapter in verse 7. Marvel not, Christ again here is speaking to this man Nicodemus. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now let's look at verse 14, please. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now the Son of Man here is Christ. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now there's only one other place we're going to read, and that's in the book of Mark, in chapter 8. Please, Mark, in chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Perhaps even more focus on those last words in verse 37. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Dave mentioned I love the hymn that we sang together. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Because I can go back in my personal life of 22 years. And for perhaps the uh, 15 of those years, of the 22 years of my existence prior to being saved, I lived in vanity and pride. I had heard that Christ was crucified. I had heard that God loves sinners. I had heard that God had sent His Son Christ to come into the world and die for sinners. But I lived my life in vanity and pride. I cared not that my Lord was crucified. I knew not that it was for me He died on Calvary. And if I could just tell you today, friend, kindly and gently and from the bottom of my heart, Christ Jesus died on Calvary, not only for me, but for you. Romans tells us Christ died for the ungodly. And he did it one time. And he did it on a rugged cross. And he died between heaven and earth. And he died for man, his creature's sins. As we look at the last uh, meeting of a two-week series, as it were, there's a lot of thoughts that go through your mind. One of them, as I just considered just today, as we sat together at the table and just sort of prayed and went through different thoughts about what to speak about. The words struck me on Mark chapter 8 and verse 37. Uh, what would someone give in exchange? That's what we read here. What would someone give in exchange for his own soul? Here's the verse. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? 
I'd like to ask the question tonight, as I may never see you again. Tomorrow I fly to Chicago, and from there I board a flight to Hawaii, and I may never see you again. But I'd like to ask the question very kindly tonight. Uh, what is someone giving tonight in exchange for their soul? What would you be willing to give to push off Christ? What could be so important in life that that's the obstacle between you and God? And you keep saying, as you hear the gospel, as it were, it's not for me. What is it that you give in exchange for your own soul? We did attend a soccer game the other night. Uh, it was Barcelona playing. And uh, I'd only been to two professional soccer games in my life. Last night was the second. But there's something that I did notice. Number one, uh, if you don't enjoy soccer, you would if you watch Barcelona, because uh, Messi or Macy, however you pronounce this man's name, uh, he dances as he plays. He's absolutely magical, if we can use that word. He's tremendous. He's an amazing athlete. And we watched him score two goals. But this is what I noticed. 82,000 people at this game. And as the players come on the field, they start to chant. There was more excitement in that stadium, friend, than I've ever seen in a gospel meeting. <laughs> right? And there they are, and they're, and they're chanting for their hero. And all that struck me through that particular scene. It's like, you, you might say, well, Matt, uh, you're losing your mind. You know, everywhere I go, I think of the gospel. Because all around us, there are souls that are dying and they're perishing, and they need Christ. And as I listen to chanting... And the people behind us pushing and flags rearing and, and they're screaming messy and, and everything else that keeps going on. All I thought about was Mark chapter 8 and verse 37. What would someone give in exchange for their soul? And the enemy, as it were, he dangles entertainment. And there's individuals on their phones. And they're dancing. And they love to attend a Saturday night soccer game or a soccer match because it pulls them out of reality. And meanwhile, there are precious souls dying, going straight to the inferno. That's what my Bible teaches me. What would you give in exchange for your soul? You say, well, Matt, what if you had a gospel meeting in that stadium? We wouldn't have 82,000 people. Men want to be entertained. And when we preach in the gospel, this message is not a message of entertainment. It's not some drama skit. It's just a message from very simply. I like what Dave said. He said, I love simple words. It's a message from Scripture that's absolutely simple. Mankind were born in our sins. We were born that way. Everything we do is a sinful act because we're born in our sin. So we are sinners per God. God's Word tells us that we've fallen short in our sin. God tells us in the Word of God in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of our sin is death. That's why you and I need a Savior, because we can't save ourselves. And the beauty of the Gospel is that it is a very, very simple message. God loved the world, and He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I love those words that we just sang together. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and His glory, of Jesus and His love. Because there's no love like it. It's a love that can never be broken. It's a love that can never be shattered. It's a love that can never be tampered with. And when God says that Christ came into the world and he died on a cross and he was there uh, dripping blood for sinners, that love that was shown there, not only spoken about in all the Old Testament and brought right to the cross, but that love that's shown at the cross, friend, it's a love for you. 
and it'll never be broken. And if a sinner comes to the God of heaven as just the way they are, they can know their sins forgiven. You say, well, Matt, perhaps I need to know scripture. Matt, perhaps I need to know uh, Bible verses by heart. I can tell you that my whole life, up to the age of 22, I had memorized scripture. Psalm 22, Proverbs 1, Isaiah 53, John 3, name it. But I didn't know Christ. If you ask my friend uh, Mohammed, he was saved uh, out of the Muslim religion. So he was saved out of that at the age of 20. He told me something very interesting. As I asked him his testimony, it's a tremendous story. Born in Pakistan and moved to the country and the family is in this religion. Okay, so. Uh, but he said, they said, Matt, this is what struck me. Matt, I didn't know Bible verses by heart. Everyone around me knew the Word of God. He had uh, come to Pacific Garden Mission. He had joined a Bible program, not saved. He had joined the Bible program. And he said, everyone around me, they're memorizing Bible verses. He goes, I, I just couldn't grasp it. Like, my mind can't retain information like that. But I understood one thing. One. He said, I understood that I was a sinner and Jesus died for me. And he came to trust Christ. And he suffered persecution because of that. His family came to Chicago and they spat on him and threw him across the street and said, you come here with Christ, we'll take your life. But he came to trust Christ. And he's bound for heaven because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. Streets of a place, friend, he's going to a place where there'll be no tears, no sadness, no heartache, not a place where men respect people. We're all going to be there not looking at each other, but we're all going to be focused on Christ. And we're going to worship with an unsinning heart. That's tremendous. The best message on this planet is that Jesus died for you. That's the best message we have. There's nothing fancy. Here it is. Now let's look to, just together at this particular story in John in chapter 3. So just keep in mind as, you, as we look at this story, just keep in mind the verses that we just read together in Mark chapter 8. What would you give in exchange for your soul? Because God wants your soul today. He'd love for you to be His. That's why He sent Christ. So let's just look, because here in this particular story, in John in chapter 3, there is a man that is searching for an answer. This man is Nicodemus. He's a ruler. He's a man that you and I would respect. He, but uh, regardless of the respect, regardless if you walk into this room and you and I stood there and we said, well, there's Nicodemus. Everyone sit down and he's going to speak. And we held on, as it were, right to the edge of our chairs. We held on to every word that he said. It doesn't matter. He's a sinful person. He's got sin. He's born in sin. And this sinful person comes for the first time and meets a sinless person. And those two, as it were, they collide at night. And Nicodemus has a question. He's not asking about a religion. He's not asking about rules. He's not asking about particular regulations. He's asking how someone can know for sure that they're going to heaven. And Christ gives him an answer. Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's something perhaps we haven't touched too much during this, these, these two weeks, although we have said those terms, born again. You need to be born from above. You say, Nicodemus, you've been born in sin. In sin did your mother conceive you. The heart desperately wicked, who can know it? You, out of your being, regardless if you know the word, regardless if you're respected among your peers or those that look up to you, you have sin in your life. And you can't enter heaven with your sin. And he, Jesus is trying to point him to being born again and coming to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as his own personal Savior. That, friend, is how you're going to heaven. It's through Christ. That's it. Dave and I were just, I don't know if reminiscing is the word. Uh, we took a motorcycle trip last year uh, on his two bikes, and we drove to West Point. And uh, 
which is a military base in, is in New York. So we drove there, and I don't know how long that took, but uh, it was actually a lot of work. I drove there in sandals, uh, which you don't ride motorcycle in sandals, but I do. And so I drove there in sandals and shorts and a little t-shirt and, uh, and a helmet, because that was the law, and I thought, well, let's just do that. And we show up at the gate. Uh, Dave and I show up, and we think we're just going to get in. So we showed up at another particular building. We got badges. They looked at our IDs. Uh, we weren't criminals. We didn't have a background. So they gave us a badge, and we drove up to the gate just the way we were on our little bikes. And here we are. We pull up to the gate. And the guy that was at the gate was not as nice as the guy that we had just seen for our ID. He was really nice. Uh, but this guy was not very friendly. There's a particular dress code to get into West Point. There are standards and guidelines that clearly Dave and I did not meet. One of those standards was full pants. The other one was long sleeve shirts if you're riding a motorcycle. The other one was boots. We had to be equipped. We had to be safe. And I looked at the guy and he said, you can't come in here. I said, we have our badge. And he said, it doesn't matter if you have a badge. You can't come in because you don't meet these guidelines. And so I looked at Dave and I thought, well, why don't we just head back to Jersey? Like, I was annoyed. We had driven all this far. And Dave said, no, no, let's make this work. And so uh, we went to a store, a little thrift store. <laughs> and uh, I didn't buy it. Dave bought it. He was adamant about going in. And uh, we went and we bought gray jogging pants and a gray sweater. And we looked comical. It was a hideous outfit. I would never wear it again. I think we threw it out. We, didn't, we wore it one time. And then we showed up in our gray outfits. We both matched, gray sweater, no, no name brand, just gray sweater and gray pants, jogging pants. And I bought shoes, and he bought shoes for me. And we showed up, and then the man said, you're good. Right? We could go in because we met a standard. We, we, we met the guidelines that they had. And here crisis, a sinless man, he's talking to a sinful person, and he's telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you're going to heaven, you need to be born again. You can't get to heaven the way you are. Thomas comes to Christ and asks the same question. Jesus has just been speaking about heaven. He's speaking about the glory of heaven, as it were. And Thomas is so mesmerized with this message, he just, all he wants to do, he doesn't care about this earth anymore. What do you care about? Thomas doesn't care about this earth anymore. He says, hey Jesus, uh, how do we know the way? That's John chapter 14, verse 5. How do we know the way? And Jesus tells him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And Christ here is pointing himself back to him again. And Jesus is in this particular story when he's talking to Nicodemus. He's speaking to Nicodemus. And he's saying, Nicodemus, you want to be in heaven? You need to be born again. You need to be born from above. There are many things in this life because uh, uh, Jesus says you must be born again. There are many things in this life that you might think is, uh, is a must. Right? I'm looking at a group of young guys today and we're talking and you might think it's a must to have the iPhone 7. It's not. But you might think that. You might think it's a must to be filthy rich. We met a guy the other night uh, after the gospel meeting, and he told me, he said, Hey, Matt, I, I enjoyed your message, but uh, there's one thing I need to tell you. I want to be filthy rich. I said, Go right ahead, but you better know Christ, because you're not going to heaven. It doesn't matter how rich you are, but you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He even thinks that's a must. Some people feel it's a must to, to go to school and to graduate and their PhD. And all those are good things, but there's no must, friend, on this earth. None, except being born again. Must be born again. No other solution. Uh, no other transaction. No other direction. No other road that you can go down. No, Jesus says, hey Nicodemus, you're born in sin. You need to be born from above. You need to be born again. 
That's the message that he gives them. Now let's look at the message, because in John chapter 3, and I'm just going to look here, John in chapter 3, Jesus is trying to relate to uh, Nicodemus, and you look here, if you're just tracking in verse 14, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then he says those words we find right here in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him, Nicodemus, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. You know, if I spoke to some of the, well, maybe I'd speak to some of the older that are more my age. Uh, if I said Deion Sanders, you know who I'm talking about. Deion Sanders, uh, famous NFL star. Uh, but if you study his story, all the bells and whistles, all the trophies, the millions and millions of dollars that this man made in professional sports. I was reading a documentary on him and he said these words. He said, there was a day we had just won the Super Bowl. He said, I'm sitting at my house and I just ordered my sixth Lamborghini. And I looked at my portfolio. I looked at all the wealth that I had. I looked at all the women that I had. I looked at all the homes that I had all over the world, the different countries. And he said, how much is enough? He said, there has to be something more. There has to be something that fills the void in my life. And he said, I turn to John chapter 3, this book, right here. And he said, I read those words that Jesus says, ye must be born again. And he said, for the first time in my life, I came to trust that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that if Dion believes in him, Dion will never perish, but have everlasting life. You want to be rich? No problem. Dion's filthy rich. But you know what? He's not going to heaven with his riches. He's going to heaven because of Christ. And you can have that today. You must be born again. You need to come, friend, to heaven God's way. Let me ask the question as I close. Time is ticking. I leave tomorrow at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to fly from here to Chicago. Tomorrow night I'm going to stay in a hotel. And Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, you're going to think I'm crazy. I'm flying 20 hours to Hawaii. 20, three different flights with our family. Here's the thought that runs through my mind. If I never see you again, younger boy in the meeting, younger one, older one alike, I never see you again. If we were to go there for some reason, something happened, whatever it was, we perish or we stay there forever, whatever it is, and I never make it back to Midland Park, I don't see you again. Here's the question. Will I see you in heaven? Because that's all that counts. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Have you ever been born again? The story that we read together is just a sinful man, as simple as it is, and he meets a sinless person. You're sinful tonight. You can meet Christ tonight right here in this tent. With eyes of faith, you see for the first time that Christ died for me at a cross. And he shed his precious blood, the just one for the unjust, that he could bring us to God. That's the Christ that we're speaking about. And he will radically, supernaturally transform your life from that point on. You are born from above, you're born again, and you're bound for heaven. Come to trust trust Christ. I hope, if I never see you again, I'll see you in glory. We'll see you in heaven. Not because of what you've done, but all because of what Christ has done. Let's pray.